gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe. Here in this great hall of justice are the most powerful forces of good ever assembled. Superman. Batman and Robin. Wonder Woman. Wonder Twins, Zan and Gina, with their space monkey, Bleak. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 100 of the Man of Screen podcast. Yes, episode 100. 100. I guess the big 100. And amidst the, uh, quote-unquote celebration of episode 100, I will be discussing the next two hours of the all-new Super Friends Hour, season two of Super Friends, the main episodes being the Mysterious Time Creatures and the City in a Bottle. There will also be a Superman and Batman segment in the first hour that I will discuss, give full coverage to. But before I get to that, you know, I just want to, you know, ruminate for a few minutes on episode 100. This is Quite the milestone, you know, it seems like just yesterday I was sitting in my car at work on my lunch break recording episode one, in which I, talk, in which I talked about a bunch of the uh, the first five Fleischer cartoons, I want to say, and now here I am, that was February of 2016, and here I am recording on, in May of 2018, 100 episodes later. It's quite a run, and I am not the only person responsible for that. Granted, I'm the one sitting here talking into the microphone doing the editing, but you guys listening are just as responsible for this show being lasting as long as it has as I am. I mean, if you weren't out there listening, I probably wouldn't be recording anymore. And, you know, knowing you guys are out there listening to me ramble about Superman adventures on the screen, you know, it keeps giving me the uh, motivation to uh, keep coming back and doing these things. And, you know, the thing about milestones is I've never been a big milestone person myself. Is yeah, they're meant to be uh, celebrated for what they are. It's a longevity thing. I mean, when you think about TV shows reaching episode 100, you know, a TV show can get canceled. I am the sole producer of uh, this podcast, even though it's hosted on the Two True Freaks Network. The freaks are never going to cancel me. The only person who can decide whether or not this thing keeps going is me. So reaching 100 is more of a time to look back and, you know, be amazed that I've done all this, you know, it, it just seemed like, uh, you know, so long ago that I was, like I said, sitting in my car recording episode one, deciding I would never do it that way again, because I remember I recorded that episode over a couple of days, sitting in my car on my lunch break. It was before I bought a decent microphone for my computer, and on one of the days it rained. So, throughout one of the segments, all you hear is, like the, aside from me talking, of course, you hear the raindrops falling on the roof of the car. Lois is ballsy. <laughs> she just helps herself to a plane. You have no idea where it came from, or how she got it, or how she even knows to fly, for that matter. So, and there was just so much that I've done that, honestly, sometimes I didn't think I'd make it through. I mean, when I when I developed this show, you know, I've been looking to do a podcast for a time, and to be honest, this started out as, in my head at least, an Adventures of Superman podcast. Just the George Reeves series. That was all I was intending to do at, at that time. Because I really hadn't known anyone else who had done it. I mean, I still don't know of anyone else who 
was actually doing it. I mean, at the time I started the podcast two years ago, somebody was starting to do a show on The Adventures of Superman, but I don't know how far he ever got. You know, I had mentioned this before, but, you know, as I was thinking of that idea, you know, knowing that The Adventures of Superman was a finite material, what if I wanted to keep going, and here I here I then I looked at the other Superman on my shelf and I decided, you know what, let's start at the beginning and let's keep on going. But before I do get any further, like I said, you, the listener, are... One of the main reasons I'm here, still here doing this, but probably the biggest reason I am still doing this, and the simple fact that I am still doing this, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell, the co-founders of the Two True Freaks Network, who let me at 62 episodes deep to join the network. You know, they let me move my uh, show over here from Podomatic, bring my archives over here, and continue recording future weekly shows and posting them here at Two True Freaks. And... I can never thank Scott and Chris enough for that. So, for the main reason is, I was getting to the point where I was, over the course of a weekly show, you know, you rack up a lot of episodes. And these podcast hosters only, you only get a certain amount of archive space. And on Podomatic, I was, as I got to episode 62, I was tearing through, you know, storage space. Because, you know, you figure 75 to 100 megabytes of pop, that adds up after a while, and... I was getting to the point on Podomatic that I was getting to the limit of what I could afford as far as storage went. And I don't pay anything to post my shows over at Two True Freaks. That's one of the reasons why it's important to me that I do it whenever I have the opportunity and that I put it in my tag to encourage you guys to use the Amazon link at TwoTrueFreaks.com if you shop at Amazon.com because hosting isn't cheap and it helps quote-unquote, keep the lights on at the network, and I've never really wanted to do a Patreon. I I looked into it, which just seemed like a lot of work, (laughs) so I really didn't want to do it if I didn't have to. For for that reason, one, it was a lot of work, and two, I really don't want to ask listeners for anything. I mean, bottom line, I don't want to ask listeners for money. So, at least by clicking the Amazon link, if you're already shopping at Amazon, they send a couple shekels our way. So that's one. Please continue to uh, support the network in that way, because... What would have happened is, if I had to stay at Podomatic, I would have either had to stop the show or start deleting older episodes, depending on how much the storage was costing. And I really didn't want to lose the early episodes, because when you when people find the podcast, at least certain ones, there are some where you can just kind of go in and uh, pick up where you left off, you know, especially if they're timely things. But if you picked up this podcast in the middle of me covering the Adventures of Superman, Even now, all of those Adventures of Superman episodes are there. So, again, thank you, Scott and Chris. Without you guys allowing me into the Two True Freaks family, this podcast probably would have been gone a long time ago. And thank you to all the listeners who have hung around. And I hope you're going to continue hanging around because only me would start a podcast from the ground zero, something this daunting, to cover Superman's adventures on the screen from... 1941 in the beginning of the Fleischers, all the way to whenever this podcast ends, is a daunting task. That is almost 80 years of television and movies. So, I guess we'll see. You know, I'm going to keep this going as long as I can. I mean, the first current thing I covered was I did a very early commentary on Man of Steel. I don't know where the stopping point is, but, you know, when I get to episode 200, can you imagine that? That's toward the beginning, that's toward the early 90s and the beginning of Lois and Clark. The New Adventures of Superman. So, 
I think my goal is to you know keep this podcast going as long as humanly possible. But I think that if I'm able to get through the Bruce Timm Superman animated series, I think I would be very happy with that if that's only as far as I got. Because I'll be honest, beyond the animated Superman series, there's the Justice League series that... So far, Chris Franklin and his wife Cindy are doing a hell of a job covering that over on the Fire and Water Network. Maybe I'll feel differently in a few years when, when I get to that point, but right now I'm enjoying uh, listening to them talk about the Justice League episodes. Maybe I'll have something to say about them when the time comes, I don't know. But like I said, my goal is to at least get through Superman the Animated Series. Especially once you get get to the other side of 2000. There is a very intimidating 10 years of Smallville out there, which I don't know. I don't know if I have the energy. And I don't have the emotion, the emotional attachment to some of the after 2000 stuff that I do. The stuff from this era, the 80s, and the 90s. So, But that still gives me another 200 episodes to go. So who knows where I'll be uh, when I get to the, to the other end of that. Maybe we'll check in, check in on that again when I get to episode 200. With this being episode 100, I put out a call for you know, some messages for my 100th episode. I got two. One is from Dave McElvenny. Dave's subject is message for our 100th episode of The Man of Screen. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I've been listening to The Man of Screen podcast since the beginning with the Fleischer shorts through Kirk Allen and George Reeves to the unaired Superboy and Superpop pilots to the Filmation cartoons and now the Super Friends, as well as the various extra episodes, and I've enjoyed your work through it all. As a longtime teacher, I'm impressed with both your preparation and your execution. And as a fan, I'm impressed with your ambition and your completest tendencies. For heaven's sake, you covered Super Pup. Wherever you go with this, I'm along for the ride. Thanks for untold hours of fun listening that takes this old guy back to my happy times of childhood, both through my kid's eyes and then my adult eyes now. Magic, my friend. Thank you. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. So, uh, thank you, Dave, and, uh, yeah, and that's one of the reasons why the, Dave mentions kid eyes and adult eyes. One of the reasons why I'm not, I'm mean, going, especially when I get to the 80s and 90s, I'll enjoy looking, covering the stuff, you know, even more so than now, is that I looked at a lot of that stuff through kids' eyes. But when I first saw it, so whenever I see stuff that I recall from my childhood, I can still look at that stuff with my kids' eyes. For instance, I can still look at Superman 4, as bad a movie as that is, with my kids' eyes. And that's something I'll talk more about when I get to Superman 4. I mean, my adult eyes know the problems, but... When I get to the other side of 2000s, my adult eyes are already open. So, I don't necessarily know if I'd have the same zeal for it that I do some of the earlier material. But like I said, just the stuff that I want to make sure I get covered, that takes me through to almost episode 300. So, in the next four years, there's time to think further. And one of the nice things that I, about the sister show that I just added, the manuscript at the movies, is if I'm feeling a little bit burnt out on uh, Super Friends or something in a, in a long run of something, I can... Step out, do an extra, or do uh, Man of Screen at the Movies just to break up the monotony. And the Man of Screen at the Movies is not the end of Man of Screen Extra. There will still be extra episodes down the line. And I do have a few ideas that I'm kicking around for extra episodes. So, thank you, Dave, for writing in. We will hear from you again uh, a little bit a little bit later on. My uh, second message is from Jack Bone. His subject is Happy 100th. And he basically writes, 80th anniversary of Superman, 70th anniversary of Kirk Allen as Superman, 40th anniversary of Christopher Reeve as Superman. Doubled numbers don't get the love of those invisible by 10, but 66 years since The Adventures of Superman, and 22 since the animated series. Action Comics 1000, Man of Screed number 100. You're in there somewhere. So, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Jack, I appreciate that. 
And thank you for listening. I believe we'll hear from you again later on, too. And, yeah, this is a big year for Superman with all these uh, anniversaries. And what uh, Jack didn't leave out, which I didn't realize until I believe I heard Michael Bailey mention this, it's also the, this year is also the 25th anniversary of the premiere of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. So, big year for Superman. Especially the aforementioned uh, 40th anniversary of Superman, the movie. I have big plans for that movie coming up. I don't want to talk a lot about them now because while I have an idea for what form the Superman, the movie coverage is going to take, I haven't put any of the plans into effect yet. So things could change depending on how things go. But I did put out a call to fellow podcasters a few weeks ago and got more of a response than I was expecting. So I'm extremely intimidated by the amount of work that appears to be ahead of me for Superman the movie, but I'm looking forward to it. So, again, 100 episodes. Thank you, the listener. Thank you, Scott and Chris, for allowing me onto the Two True Freaks. And thank you, the listeners. And now I'm going to go into, uh, you know, regular feedback. Just want to get that in, keep going, because my feedback is like 10 episodes behind. So, I don't want to fall behind any further than I already am. So, I've got some feedback here from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on the first episode in which I cover Super Friends, so this would be back from a long hiatus, I believe. Greetings, Mike. It's good to hear your voice again on my podcast feed. I hope your hiatus helped you refresh yourself for this next leg in your Man of Screen journey. I'm about 15 years older than you are, so I didn't grow up with Super Friends, but I did watch the show for some time in several of its iterations. I haven't rewatched any episodes since they aired originally, so it'll be interesting to see how much of the show I remember. I do seem to recall that the first season, with Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog, was not a great favorite of mine, but I watched it because it was the only place to see some of my favorite heroes on TV. It seems to me that this season was probably a bit weaker overall than some of the later seasons, but I might be misremembering. I am open to having my mind changed on that. I do agree with your assessment that Marvin and Wonder Dog give off a Shaggy and Scooby vibe. The main comment I have on the Power Pirate about Superman's proposed solution to the problem of the planet Traum, I'm not sure what's going to be accomplished by polishing their moon into a giant mirror. Reflecting the power giving light of their sun, doesn't the sun light already strike the planet directly? Also, it seems that anthropology and change of heart are very sudden, without any obvious motivation. He admits that what he did was wrong, and he's sorry for it, and will return the stolen power. But shouldn't he have known it was wrong be- before he even left his home planet for Earth? The mere fact that he'd been stopped by the Super Friends seems to be all that was needed for him to discover the error of his ways. I guess even in a longer cartoon, it's still aimed at younger kids who aren't going to look for deeper motivations. In The Baffles Puzzle, it was nice to see that, despite Batman's reputation as the world's greatest detective, it was Superman who first reasoned out Professor Baffles' method of making things disappear. Back then, before the development of the Bat-God, Superman was first among equals. I'll be eagerly anticipating your continued coverage of these adventures. Live long and prosper, Dave. Okay, thank you, Dave, for writing in. Uh, the first thing I want to address is uh, you wrote that you, you're you about 15 years older than me. I believe, Dave, you might be closer to 20, 25 years older than me. So, there's that. <laughs> there's really nothing uh, more to add to that. Dave, no, you shouldn't suddenly feel older, but I might actually be younger than you think I am. And I really don't have much else to add about Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. And um, his main comment on the Power Pilot. Power Pirate is, no, I'm sure the, uh, maybe polishing the moon so the giant mirror makes more sunlight hit the, hit the planet than would have ordinarily hit it, I don't know. And, uh, also, Anthro's apology and change of heart, yes, it is very sudden. The obvious motivation is that the writers are running out of time in the episode, so they need to get that apology out of the way. And 
Obviously, I've gone through all of season one at this point, so Dave is, pro- is probably going to notice as we go as he moves through the show that this is pretty much how most of season one goes. At least a lot of the episodes. Person has concerns. You know, alien's home planet has an issue. Comes to Earth to solve it, but it's either going to steal something from Earth or kill all the all the people. So the super friends have to teach them the error of their ways. And as far as the baffles puzzle, yes, indeed, it was a good showing for Superman for him to uh, pick that up before everybody else. Thank you, Dave, for writing in. Now here is uh, another letter from uh, Jack Bone on the episode, and his subject is Super Friends One. Jack writes, I have vague memories of the Super Friends show. I can only recall two episodes off the top of my head, one with inflatable aliens and the other about a scientist who invented a giant U-shaped magnet to bring the asteroids closer to Earth to study. The last one mainly because the scientist was named Shaman and his invention, the Shaman U. Unlike with the Filmation series, your descriptions do raise memories of this show. Marvin ready to dump all his lamps to save energy sounds familiar. I may be projecting back on my nine-year-old self, but I think we understood why Wendy and Marvin were in the show. For the same reason the Brady kids had pandas, because it was a cartoon and not a real show. What interests me is the second episode with Professor Baffle erasing art and history, believing we would be more pure without his bad examples. This sounds like a veiled commentary on the crusade against violence in children's television going too far. And we see Baffle losing the argument. His position may have been stronger if he had given examples of, viol- of the violence in history, but ironically, that is the stuff that would have been cut from the program. So, thank you, Jack, for writing in. And uh, so Jack is uh, starting to uh, have vague memories of the show, and he does uh, not having gotten to those episodes yet, so he's going to be happy to realize that he doesn't remember two episodes correctly, the one with the uh, balloon people and the shame on you episode. Those are two episodes of season one. And Jack, you bring up an interesting point about Professor Baffle. And I didn't think to relate it to uh, some of the parents groups of the time and the crusade against violence in children's TV. Which is actually, as I mentioned when I covered the Filmations, that's something that really did in that Filmation that filmation cartoon, The Adventures of Superman, where, you know, Superman went up against villains with great regularity and, you know... He punched out his villains with great regularity. You know, Superman fought his villains like he would in a comic book or anything else. The reason this show is the way it is, is because of, at least in season one, we're going to see how it's interesting to see how the show changes as we move ahead through time, through the end of the 70s and into the 80s, that the Super Friends don't punch anybody. There's no real fighting in these episodes. You know, they're saving people from disasters and stuff like that, but this episode always ends, as many cartoons through... My, my old childhood in the 80s always ended with some kind of lesson being learned by somebody. And maybe when we finally get to the Legion of Doom episodes, you'll be able to see the gloves come off and we'll have some more villainous villains. Most of my Super Friends memories come from when I was a kid come from later seasons. I'm really anxious to get through, into stuff that I may have seen as a kid. And like you, waiting for memories to be jogged. So I'd like to uh, thank uh, Jack and Dave for writing in. You can write in as well. Manofscreen at gmail.com And... Again, thank you to all the listeners who've gotten me through 100 episodes and through however many more there may be after this. Planning at least another 200, so stick with me. So, for now, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with the mysterious time and uh, the episodes that surrounded that. Hang around, folks. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, 
To celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. <laughs> it's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. All right, welcome back, folks. The episodes I'll be talking about in this segment all premiered on original broadcast date was September 17th, 1977. And I'm going to start with The Mysterious Time. And all of our synopses will be brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. On Chrono, Prime Minister Dictor wants the people to use the power to control time to conquer the universe while President Calmo wants to continue using the power for good. Dictor turns Kalo into an old man and sends him on the run in space. The Super Friends rescue Kalo and left. And this is what I looked like for 500 years before Dictor stole the time medallion. You mean Dictor is going to turn everyone in the galaxy old? Jupiters! He's got to be stopped! With this ingot of chronium, I can make a time medallion to counter Dictor's power and return peace to Chrono. All our scientific equipment is at your disposal, Connell. And the safest place for you to work is my undersea aqua lab. Aquaman and the twins can escort Kamo to the lab. Good. The rest of us will stay here. We'll program the Justice League computer to alert us if Dictor returns. We must hurry, though, until Dictor is stopped. No one in the universe is safe. Let him work safely in the Hall of Justice to perfect a counteracting device against the Time Medallion. When Superman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman try to sneak into Dictor's hidden hideout on Earth, they are captured and turned into children. The Wonder Twins try to find their friends, only to be captured themselves. We're in a fine pickle! How are we gonna get out of here? I wanted to call my flying fish to rescue us, but Wonder Woman says it's dumb! What do your stupid fish do once they get here? Besides, my magic lasso will get us out of here! Come on, Lasso! Drill a hole! Right through the wall! Dumb Lasso! No rope can go through steel! Watch this! Well, I guess it's up to us! Right! Wonder Twin Powers! Activate! And accidentally reveal Calvo's whereabouts. When Jaina, as a mouse, leads the dynamic duo to Dictor's hideout, Dictor accidentally fires an aging beam at the toddlers, turning them back into normal. However, Dictor finds Calmo and turns him into dust. The team tricks him into thinking that Calmo was younger again, and in space, Dictor fires on a Batman dummy with Calmo's dust, making the real Calmo return to his normal age. Okay, so... What's going to happen to Dictor? Our people will exile him to a rehabilitation space colony. I hope he learns that power in the wrong hands can be quite evil. And that only in the right hands can power be constructive. I am most grateful to all of you. But where are Zan and Jaina? <laughs> Superman got younger again! He's almost a baby! Superman! 
Looks like Blink's been into my bat disguise kit. <laughs> this was you know, a decent enough episode to uh, start things off. We uh, start off with the uh, decoder, the first three letters of metal, M-E-D. So, apparently, we have these aliens who have a time device that they use to uh, stay young, and we see that Dictor wants to uh, use it differently. So, the first thing that Dictor does is he uses the uh, device to turn the president into an old man who uh, sits down on his throne and basically escapes his homeworld in a rocket because he is about to be uh, deposed because he wants to use this time power for good. What a horrible guy. Of course, on this show, despite it not being at all possible in the 1970s, the military can detect an attack fleet headed to Earth. And that was uh, one of the things that really stood out to me, is that this government contact that contacted the uh, Justice League or the Super Friends or whatever we're calling them this season is not at all surprised about an attack fleet coming to Earth. In this version of uh, called the DC Universe, I believe the uh, wiki records this as Earth 1A, because the Super Friends cartoon is based on the Earth 1 continuity of the uh, DC uh, comics Silver and Bronze Age. At this time, 1977, DC was heading in, heading into or already neck deep, depending on who you ask, into the Bronze Age. But, you know, 1977 attack fleet is coming to Earth. That's not, that's not something people are surprised about. So, Superman and Wonder Woman give chase as Calmo's ship is attacked in Earth space. Superman grabs these pincers like they're nothing, and I'm guessing he's going to use Wonder Woman's plane to tow Calmo, and we have a little bit of a space battle. Now, when I said that the Super Friends couldn't punch anything, I should amend that statement. They can't punch other beings. They can most definitely punch out robots and spaceships, but not any other beings. But not here. Superman uses his superpowers to turn into a cyclone and spins the ships around. Bummer, I was hoping to see Superman punch some spaceships. Though apparently Dictor wants to make everyone old, so they're going to... They, the Super Friends, are going to hide Calmo in Aquaman's lab under the sea, because where else would you hand an aging uh, refugee from a planet whose people are chasing him? So, of course, Dictor will land on Earth, but he's in the desert under the sand. And Aquaman has quite the impressive lab, at least Calmo thinks so. But, of course, he doesn't have all the equipment he needs. Fortunately, what he does need is at the Hall of Justice. All the while, Victor has located the lab, so I'm guessing he must have some powerful sensors because he's under the desert, folks. How he can spot something in the ocean, which, you know, covers at least two-thirds of the Earth. How he can see the ocean from where he is in the desert is beyond me. So, Victor shows up at the lab, forcing Jaina to turn into a goat for some reason. Zan turns into an ice cage, and Gleek screws everything up by riding Jaina... So she charges into the cage, and this allows Dictor to uh, get away with Calmo. The Wonder Twins are trying to help, but they are, at the moment, causing more trouble than they're worth. So Aquaman returns to the lab from this pipe out of the floor. It almost looks as though he's emerging from a toilet bowl, but just from the way it's animated. But it's an entrance and an exit pipe, basically an airlock. I'm sure somebody has watched this episode of Man and Aquaman coming out of a toilet bowl joke. I am just going to mention the possibility of the joke. I am not actually going to make the joke myself. And from here, we've got Aquaman riding on a seahorse. I can't get enough of Aquaman riding on a seahorse. I'm not necessarily sure we're going to see Jason Momoa riding on a seahorse in Aquaman later this year, but 
modern audiences might find that a little bit silly, but if I saw Aquaman riding a seahorse, I would not complain in the slightest. So Aquaman is trying to uh, stop Dictor, and he uses a stingray to stop them, and the only thing it succeeds in doing is damaging the ship enough so that they eject Calmon. So the mission's not a total waste. Uh, Aquaman wasn't able to stop the bad guy, but he did rescue the hostage. And Calamo comes back to the, to the Hall of Justice. And they probably shouldn't leave the Hall. It's probably the best defended. So here's Superman, and he's striking me this season as the head babysitter, as he's constantly giving orders to the Wonder Wanda Twins to stay at the Hall and out of trouble. If you remember that in Season 1, Batman and Robin were frequently the designated babysitters for Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Probably because they didn't have superpowers and or lived in Gotham City. So far, at least in this episode... Superman is uh, riding herd on the Wonder Twins. So they find Dictor's ship in the Gobi Desert, but apparently since Batman and Robin are driving underground, they don't get the message. So who knows where they are. Dictor opens the hatch and captures the super friends who fall gleefully into his trap and then gets zapped with the time device, turning them into children. And this is something you see, I've seen on countless cartoons, the main characters being turned into children. There was, I believe, a Thundercats episode where this happened. Then a handful of other cartoons. There was even a, an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where the command crew was turned into kids. So so basically what happens is Zan and Jaina will find Wonder Woman, Superman, and Aquaman turned into kids. And another note, as uh, Batman and Robin arrive in the desert in the Batmobile, I am wondering whether or not they drove all the way to China, the Gobi De- where the Gobi Desert is. Maybe I misheard and they didn't actually say the Gobi Desert. I don't know. But here we go back at the... Uh, wherever Dictor is, they are arguing, the super friends are arguing like the children they've been turned into, complete with the need for total one-upmanship. Let's see what happens here as the Wonder Twins can... Let's see what the Wonder Twins can do here as Zan turns into an ice ladder and Jaina a mouse. So Jane is as a mouse, is trying to get a hold of Batman and Robin. Robin tries to shoot the mouse away, but and I am waiting for some hilarity here with peanut butter and cheese, but... Jaina figures a way to type to them, and they take her with them. I was almost waiting for uh, someone to actually accidentally step on Jaina as a mouse. And Batman puts Jaina in his Bat Belt mouse compartment. Yes, in his utility belt. Batman has a mouse compartment. And as far as the Batmobile goes, he also has a Bora drill on the grill of his Batmobile. You know, in case he needs one for whatever reason. You know, I can understand, you know, needing a drill in case you're trying to dive underground. I'm more curious as to why Batman would need a mouse compartment. Why is this man collecting rodents? So, uh, Batman and Robin jump out of the way when Dicta tries to uh, de-age, de-age them into old people. And that restores the, the super friends. Apparently, trying to turn adults, hitting adults with the uh, age forward rate turns them into senior citizens. But turning it on children turns them into adults in their prime. And then Dicta gets really nasty after all that. So everybody escapes, and uh, they get ahead of Dictor at the Hall of Justice. And then this is when Dictor gets really nasty. And he basically ages Calmo into a pile of ashes on the floor. Oh, and by the way, that pile of ashes only has an hour to live. So Batman will, is going to disguise himself as Calmo here. Calmo when he was young, not the old man Calmo that we've been seeing for most of this episode. And I wonder if Batman put this mask on over his cowl like he did in the comics of the time. It's always funny in a comic book, Batman uh, taking off, uh, you know, a full mask of somebody's face, only to reveal that he's been wearing the cape and cowl under the mask the whole time. I guess the 60s and 70s allowed you to hide your bad ears under big hair. Now, I love how the Earth agencies cooperate with no questions, 
And as Batman sends a message as Calmo luring Dick Tor back to Earth. So, using the disguise, he calls the ships from Cal- Calmo back to Earth, and we get a space battle between the Super Friends and Dick Tor's ships. Plan A is Superman grabbing some rockets and firing them in different directions, so it's kind of a space battle. I was uh, upset that Superman didn't get to punch any spaceships before. He can throw rockets at them now, so that's all better. So Wonder Woman rounds up two more ships with her lasso when Dictor promises that he'll be back. You know, in true villain form. So the space battle is won, Dictor is defeated, and Batman will restore Calmo to his youthful age, and Dictor is arrested and going to jail on his own planet. Then at the end, I like how Zan and Jaina run in telling everyone how Superman got younger again. But it's just Gleek. And we got a lesson on how power in the wrong hands is a bad thing. Now, the nice thing about this episode was that there seemed to be an actual villain that was trying to chase something. I'm not sure why Dick Dorr was trying to make everybody else old on Earth. But even though he didn't seem too dangerous and mainly defeated himself, it was nice to see a villain doing villain things. A lot of the villains in Season 1 were villainous because they were doing things outside the norm. But they were going to extreme measures to do something potentially good for Earth. So I guess that made uh, Hanna-Barbera, which produced this show, a little more more in the good graces of the uh, parents' ca- TV council or, or whatever that group was called that was trying to keep violence off of uh, children's cartoons. So that's all I've got for that episode. Now I'm going to go into the other stories, the first of which is The Secret Four, which features Superman and Batman and Robin, so this one is going to get full coverage. And our synopsis is as follows. A hooded foursome wants to destroy energy power plants to teach people a lesson about wasting energy. We've had success with our first efforts, but we have much more to accomplish if we are to stop the entire country from depleting its natural fuel supplies. They wouldn't listen. Now we must force them to develop other energy sources. Even if we have to resort to destruction. The super friends are searching for us, but they will not stop us. We will stop them with a trap. Superman and the dynamic duo stop them and learn that the four people behind the problem were four industrialists who helped build some of the power plants. I think it's time we unmasked these hooded figures and found out who the secret four really are. Holy double identity! The industrialists! It's true that we need to find new sources of energy. But only through cooperative efforts can we achieve a worthwhile result. And you'll have to pay the consequences for what you've done. Looks like we've wrapped up another one. Right, and that's the last I want to see of hooded figures. Except for my trusty hooded super friend. (laughs) So, this is a nice little uh, World's Finest episode. The first time we've seen only Batman and Superman. Well, Robin too. But only Batman characters and Superman in, in an adventure together without the rest of the Super Friends. So an oil refinery is being unveiled here by this portly bald man with a gray mustache. And just take a look at all of the members of this group here. It's going to be important later. Now, of course, something goes wrong and the refinery is swallowed up by the earth. It's interesting how the ground just kind of ate the refinery and then closed up, trapping the oil refinery underground for all the purposes. When the uh, report of what happened comes in, why does Superman leave out Aquaman and Wonder Woman? I mean, I know these shorts highlight two Super Friends members, but if we're not going to use certain characters, why bother animating them into the episode? Why wouldn't Wonder Woman and Aquaman help out here? 
I mean, Superman says that he and Batman and Robin can handle this. What, are Wonder Woman and Aquaman chopped liver all of a sudden? This kind of thing would be a lot easier to swallow if maybe Superman and Batman and Robin were the only ones at the Hall of Justice at the time, so only they received the message. The others could be out doing whatever, you know? Aquaman could be fighting Black Manta, and Wonder Woman could be messing around with the Cheetah or something. But it's silly to have them in the Hall of Justice while the call comes in and not everybody responds. I mean, maybe the situation isn't up to everybody. You know, maybe you have a character that doesn't... just doesn't make any sense. Honestly, if you're not going to use certain characters, don't animate them in. Okay, so, there's a crack in the ground. So the Earth didn't completely swallow the refinery. It didn't completely close its mouth. There is a little hole for Superman and Batman and Robin to look through. So apparently uh, the secret four here are going after energy sources. They started with oil, and now they're going to move on to something else. So they threaten a train that's carrying oil, but I have a feeling this is a trap. They have a ray that creates tornadoes, which basically looks like an old-style TV camera. Now, Batman hopes Superman can handle a tornado. If he can't, what is he going to do? The obvious answer is get captured by the Secret Four who threatened Superman. Now, in their cells, Batman and Robin have been relieved of their utility belts. But apparently, the Secret Four forgot the bat suction cups and the communicator on Batman's belt. And they basically escape their cells by walking on the ceiling. And apparently there will be a point where Batman and Robin will catch up to the uh, Secret Four in their main uh, inner sanctum, but at that point they seem to have their belts back, so that's good. Also, Batman and Robin here are shown that they are properly incompetent, as they are frozen by the Secret Four and then rescued by Superman. And what a shock, the Secret Four are the industrialists from the beginning of the episode. And then while Superman recognizes the need for alternative energy sources, but only through cooperative efforts. We could use a little more cooperative effort in the world today, along with some alternative energy sources, which seem to be under attack nowadays. But this is not that kind of podcast, and I'm not going to continue this train of thought. And then uh, Superman makes a crack about not wanting to see a hooded figure other than his best friend, Batman. So it's quite adorable. Superman and Batman are, two, are both good friends. This is a very uh, Silver Bronze Age uh, relationship between the two characters. Next episode is the Wonder Twins morality play, Tiger on the Loose. Twins need help from a girl accused of of freeing the tiger from its cage because the animal has boarded a school bus. She's able to calm the tiger down and it gets back to its cage. In the end, everyone learns that jumping to the wrong conclusions leads to trouble. So, like, like we said in the synopsis, this episode is going to be about jumping to conclusions, at least after Wonder Woman tells us not to chew on pencils and styrofoam cups. I still chew on pens at work. It's probably a nervous tick, a way to relieve stress or something like that. And here's that person jumping to conclusions right away as the superintendent of the zoo jumps to the conclusion that his teenage tiger keeper, I believe her name is Susie, is is responsible for the tiger getting out. Susie helps uh, rescue the tiger at the end by coaxing it off the school bus and the zookeeper apologizes. You know, it's an okay segment. Teaches the kids to get the most information out of situations before blaming some someone for something. Good message right there. And then we go on to The Antidote. This is a story uh, featuring Wonder Woman and the Apache Chief. So, the synopsis is, Wonder Woman and Apache Chief milk the phantom of a giant cobra to save cobra-bitten victims in, in a village in India. And yeah, that's this is basically how you would think an episode that has that description would go. We've got, so we've got running of the snakes in India. It basically looks like running of the bulls, except with snakes. Apparently, everyone's got the Hall of Justice phone number. And again, everyone is there, but only Wonder Woman and Apache Chief help the villagers by uh, bringing the... Hall of Justice Cobra Venom, which apparently they have in the fridge. And the rest must not count. 
Because they're just kind of sticking to stay at home and, I don't know, watch reruns of F-Troop or something. I don't know. And, obviously, they didn't bring enough antidote, so they have to make some more. And they go through the trouble of milking a giant snake by having it bite something and the village is saved. Yeah, I could have done without this one. I really don't need to see anybody, quote-unquote, milk a giant cobra. So, let's just take a podcast promo break, play some promos, and then we'll move on to City in a Bottle. Hang around, folks. Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400, Legends, Mike Barr and Alan Davis, Batman Year One, Batman Year Two, Max Allen Collins, Ugh. Um, the new Jason Todd, Ugh. Millennium? You're not doing this right. Let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year 3. A Lonely Place of Dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Collins. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The Rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, when Batman fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? All right, welcome back, folks. All of the episodes in this segment have been broadcast originally on September 24th, 1977. We're going to start with City in a Bottle. And again, all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Mid-City, its residents and the Wonder Twins are shrunken and bottled by Mongor, an alien from planet X-3 who wants to invade Earth. Other than a routine UFO report, that's all the information we have about the disappearance of Mid-City. Holy catastrophes! Zan, Jaina, and Gleek went to the Mid-City Zoo today! This must be the work of some interplanetary villain. We haven't a moment to lose. We've got to get to the NASA tracking station. Right, and determine that UFO's exact trajectory. The Super Friends catch up with Mongor in their own rocket and reach X-3. Using the pieces of Mongor's abandoned ship to build two sleds, the starting five of Superman, Batman, and Robin, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman are led on a wild goose chase, which traps them in a cave. They do find a way out, however. They do find a way out, however, and track Mongor to his base. They rescue the bottle, but are temporarily sidetracked by a chamber full of ice creatures. The Wonder Twins short out the machine, making the creatures, and Superman gets Mid-City back to Earth and enlarged back to normal only minutes before. The shrunken effect would have been irreversible. Well, that wraps it up. Mongor and his warriors have been exiled into space. Perhaps others in the galaxy will learn from this. Mongor was certain to lose. Like Caesar, Napoleon, Alexander the Great... Those who use force are always doomed to fail in the end. Yes, but without Gleek and his super tail, evil might have won. Right, Super Gleek? (laughs) 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 That was super, Gleek. Real super! (laughs) (laughs) You know, when I heard the name of this episode was City in a Bottle... I was hoping for Candor and Brainiac. No such luck. Instead, we have Mongor from Planet X3. And 
I have little to say about the Wonder Twins at the zoo, commenting on how Gleek might be cousins with the monkeys. But they do take Mid-City, shrieking it like Brainiac did to Gandor, which makes it even more disappointing. Sure enough, Mongor looks like a Mongolian warrior from ancient times, so the look and the cre- and the alien's name seem to sync up. And I kind of miss Colonel Wilcox as the government's main liaison to the Super Friends. This uh, rotating cast of characters here is getting a little annoying. I like the consistency of having the same guy all the time. <laughs> Except for when Colonel Wilcox had a different voice and a different face. That was kind of weird. Now, one area where this show really saves time is in the long-winded explanation of what's going on and what's going to be done. In the first season, there will be at least uh, three-minute-long expositional scenes at the Hall of Justice. Here, they're much shorter, and it's probably much easier for kids to keep their attention when they're being taught something important. And uh, NASA uh, tracks the UFO to Planet X-3. Yes, we tracked this UFO from Mid-City, and computer fixes UFO heading directly for Planet X-3. Planet X-3? That's seven billion miles away. And solid ice, shivering icebergs. What do we do now, Superman? We get to Cape Canaveral and head for X-3. And again, the military and, well, the government, and in this case, NASA, unfazed by being able to track a UFO to a planet billions of miles away. And I love how the head military man says it would take years to build a rocket to get to X-3, and Superman just points and says, We'll take that one. Like he's picking out a used car. Now, I do like how Superman pushes the rocket out of Earth's atmosphere. I also love how this episode is showing that there is no friction in space, so the rocket doesn't slow down when Superman takes his hands off it and is no longer pushing it. Forward momentum will just keep carrying it forward. And it won't stop unless it's acted on by another body. Hopefully Planet X-3. Now, here's a neat trick. Superman is frozen and Wonder Woman thaws him out with her magic lasso. And uh, these episodes are also much lighter on dialogue, as you've noticed by the fewer sound clips. The uh, aforementioned, uh, it's easy to record and stick in the show that three-minute expositional scene, but it's fine. It's getting harder to find decent sound clips on this show, as there's not as much talky-talky as there was in the first season. So these two aliens are experimenting on something, but we're not sure what, what it is at this point in the episode, and... I'm curious about how this mayor knows about the deadline for Mid-City to remain small forever. I wonder if he got a message from Mongo or something like that saying they only had an X amount of time because, well, he sure knows the deadline and he is not as phased by it that I think he should be. I'd probably be freaking out, but no, he is this mayor cool as a cucumber. He'll be getting his hair cut or some other thing until somebody sorts his mess out for him. So Jaina becomes a gorilla and Zan an ice spear and they escape the bottle that way. So, and it does appear that Gleek has some uses. He uses his tail as a bit of a rope to lower Jaina and Zan into the ship. And another thing I want to comment on, I really like how Superman's costume looks this season. The S is still inconsistent, but it is getting better. And apparently, uh, Batman and Robin are on their ice machine. They encounter a monster before the uh, commercial break. And uh, Batman and Robin are now facing off with some kind of sea dragon. Batman tries to bat-gable it and show him some great teamwork with he and Robin, but Aquaman comes in, tries to communicate with it as Wonder Woman lassos the big creature. And they do all that for the sheer price of Batman and Robin's ice mobile. I guess they'll have to walk now. So Superman eventually has to rescue the second ice mobile, and they're having a bunch of adventures on this ice mobile. Superman has to stop it from going over a cliff. So now Mongor traps the Super Friends in an ice cave. I guess Superman didn't think about heat vision at this point. But Robin very nearly, literally, falls into a solution. So this uh, alien scientist from Planet X-3 is going to study Mid-City to see if Earth is worth conquering. And, you know, there's got to be easier ways to scout a new target than shrinking it and taking it home with you. You know, you would think just simple 
observation on Earth would do the trick. So Superman drills a hole to, and gets them into the fortress that way, and the rest of the heroes follow. I'm not sure how they maneuver behind Superman, but they do. So, the plan is to replace Mid-City with a city of their own from which to wage their war. So, that's interesting. Uh, take out one city, put a city of your own warriors in it, and I guess from there you unleash them on the world. Now, now here, now here's a shot of uh, Superman with his hands on his hips taking on the whole screen. And he is large and in charge. And Mongor, whomever, you know, says, refers to him as a super person or, what, or something, and he just stands large and says, No, Superman! And starts taking things apart. So now they're under attack by the ice creatures. Now Superman is going to, going to use his heat vision. Maybe he should have used it in the ice cave before, but now he's turning on the heat. And this machine is making too many ice creatures. So this gives Aquaman a chance to find uh, a job for the shrunken one of twins, and that's to deactivate the machine. After exiling Mongor and his warriors, there's a lesson about those who use force are doomed to lose. But Gleek's tail is treated as a hero, as he uses several times in this episode to help his super friends out of sticky situations. So, not a bad episode. I seem to like this one. Obviously, it stole the Shrunken City concept from Superman comics of the time and earlier. No Brainiac, but it's always cool to see the Super Friends off-world. And I do believe this was their first world adventure. Unless I'm forgetting another one somewhere, but I like seeing Superman large and in charge like he was at the one moment. I like seeing Superman concepts being adapted into the uh, alternative media, but I would love to see more of Superman's rogues gallery converted into adapted media. I don't know how many times or how many shows I've said I want to see Brainiac in a Superman movie. Hasn't happened yet, but ho- hopefully after Krypton, WB have a little bit of faith in the character of Brainiac. Brainiac's invasion of Earth can be one hell of a movie concept. Now, as far as the uh, other stories go. First is Invasion of the, Hi- of the Hydranoids, which features Batman and Robin and Aquaman. Batman and Robin restore Aquaman's mind when aliens use a mind ray that erases the mind and turns one green on a city, and then Aquaman. The aliens hope to make all the humans mindless so they will not develop space travel. Okay. I'm sure if you asked me nicely and uh, gave me a couple of brownies, I'd give up on space travel. I'm not sure what they gave Robin, if they gave Robin anything, but hope they didn't. Now, I don't know who this guy reported the Super Friends is, but he sure looks a whole, a whole lot like Clark Kent. And uh, Aquaman hears the problem is coming from the ocean, so naturally he volunteers. Not necessarily sure that Batman and Robin are the best suited for this problem, but that's the characters that we got. And this isn't a great showing for Aquaman, as he's captured immediately and has his mind erased pretty much immediately, and then has to be rescued by Batman and Robin. But the story is wrapped quickly. The six or seven minute episodes can't really provide much of a threat because of how quickly how quickly the story needs to be resolved. The next story is Hitchhike. The Wonder Twins save a girl who foolishly hitchhikes and ends up kidnapped. Before we start, Wonder Woman teaches some kids about the proper way to introduce yourself to a dog by having your hand out. Good advice. Uh, always put your hand out, palm up, and let the dog sniff it so it gets a chance to know you and make sure it knows you're not threatening it. So, so this episode starts in Central City with this girl in short shorts and a tank top. Tries to hitchhike and gets picked up by this creepy looking dude. And I'm thinking she should have just taken the bus. I can only imagine what could happen here if this isn't a kid's show. Let's just say that. So, Jody's friend calls the Wonder Twins and not the police. Okay. Whatever floats your boat, I'd have called the cops, not the incompetent aliens from the planet Aeron, or Aerox, or whatever the hell it's called. But it's a good thing they always have a bucket nearby, since sand can only become water at the moment. So, apparently, uh, the uh, Wonder Twins are well-known enough that Disco Dude here, who's trying to kidnap uh, Jody, knows who they are just from seeing the animals and, um, I guess... 
Gleek doesn't change into anything. If he's paying attention, he knows who Gleek is. So he's caught, and Jody learns to have a hitchhike. A good lesson who may be con- someone who may be considering hitchhiking, just don't. Alright, it's never worth it. Alright, then for Space Emergency, this features Wonder Woman and Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Wonder Woman, Hawkman, Hawk, Hawkgirl rescue a space shuttle from going into deep space and a space station from going into the sun. Very basic episode of Wonder Woman and Hawkman and Hawkwoman saving the satellite and the space station. Not really much else to say about this one. So, next time, we're going to have the Day of the Plant Creatures and Super Friends vs. Super Friends. If you would like to send in some feedback, please feel free to do so. Feedback is always welcome. Manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over at the Facebook group. Just put Man of Screen Podcast into your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And uh, like I mentioned before, please, hit the Amazon link. That helps keep the lights on here with the two true freaks. And leave me a review on iTunes. That'll help others find the show. So, till next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. And thank you for listening. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo. No opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the two true freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.